You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey, gals, welcome to The Devoted Podcast. I'm so glad you guys are in with us for a little bit of a bonus episode today. We just wrapped up the Renewed Conference. So I am sitting here with two amazing ladies, Debbie Metter and Sharon Fox. You guys want to say hi? Hi. <laughs> see, they waved and then they were like, oh, wait, we're on a microphone. Nobody can nobody can see that. So we just got to have a Friday night and Saturday of a great group of gals. It was amazing. So we wanted to be able to come and just give you guys a little recap. I've asked each of the, of the gals to just give you a, a little bit of what we talked about and covered in the conference. And then we're also going to jump into a little bit more Q&A because you guys asked such amazing questions, both the online audience and then those of you who were able to be with us. There was just a ton of questions that we didn't get to. So we're going to try to get to some of those. And if we don't get to all these questions and you're just really like, huh, I, I still really want an answer to this question. I want to encourage you to contact us. Go to Women at Athey Creek. Send us an email. Let us get you in contact with someone that can chat with you if if our answer is less than adequate, which, come on. Highly likely. <laughs> Highly likely, right? <laughs> so Debbie, why don't you start us off? She, Debbie spoke this morning at bright and early 8 a.m. Oh. and it was fantastic. So just, I did not really give them any chance to really prep for this. So Debbie, give us like two minutes and what were the highlights for you? The highlights I would say based off the prompt that you gave me, which was very kind of you to give me that because I was able to go treasure hunting in the (laughs) scriptures, but how does the spirit renew in the daily life? So I was able to apply that and it was just really, really fun to go and see how God created the world. His spirit was hovering over the earth. And then to contrast the meaning of that word, breath of God and the spirit of God, and to just do some word studies in that, Mm -hmm. and then transfer that over to the New Testament and looking at Jesus and how the spirit ascended onto Jesus as a dove and looking at John chapter one and seeing the origin of really the word and how the word was God, is God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that was really neat to look at that. And then also contrasting that entire thing and how God moves using his spirit in our life, because the question was, how does the spirit renew in the daily? Mm -hmm. And just taking a look at Isaiah 45 and Isaiah 43, and just to actively put that into hopefully all the women that were there, actively take the word and sow it into our minds of how the Lord is the one who says, behold, I'm doing a new thing and see what I can do with taking desert and turn it into an oasis. I loved when you were walking through the scriptures and you're just reading and you would just keep going, okay, down to verse 14, down to verse 18. Because as as you walk through Isaiah or John, both of them, and then you would also bounce back between Genesis and, and John, you get this cool sense of how cohesive scripture is that goes, how it goes together so beautifully. It just highlighted, I think, those scriptures so well. And I just thought that was really a great way to look at that. And actually, looking at it on the page in your Bible, you know, and seeing those. I I loved that. And thanks. It was really fun. It was so good. And, you know, I gave you the prompt of the spirit and how it renews in the ordinary because, and I said this a little bit in your intro, but I've got to know you forever. And I feel like you kind of taught me how to parent my children. And parenting is so much of the ordinary, right? It's like, it's so much of the nitty gritty. You were always just had that glorious smile on your face while you're saying, a very firm word to your child, you know? Yes. But that's my customer service. I am telling you, but it's so (laughs) great because it brings that matter of factness and has the, the joy of the spirit actually in it too. And it is ordinary in that it's daily and Mm -hmm. we do it all the time. Yeah. But as you also pointed out when you were talking, it's extraordinary in the things that the Lord does through Mm -hmm. it. So it was so well done. I just loved it so much. And then Sharon, you I felt like we all got smarter listening to you because you really walked us through critical theory and identity. So her new name is Professor Fox. It (laughs) was, it was great. It was great to look through these things. And so also I'm going to remind podcast listeners, if you go and you listen to Sharon's, and I think my keynote might be on there too, but for sure, Sharon's, they're going to have the PDF available on the teaching. So you can see some sources and things like that, but give us a two minute highlight of where you went today. So I chose identity because I think identity is being tacked. And this war, I call it a war on identity, because it's basically a war on who we are in Christ 
versus what the world is telling us who we are. So I, I felt compelled that to really dig deep into critical theory as, as deep as, you know, 15 minutes would allow, just to give everybody an overview of what it is and its, its endpoint, its goals, that how they, you know, use words and everything else that we, we experience every day. So I felt, even though I really struggled, I wanted to have more scripture, but I really felt like we needed to know what the enemy is using as a tool against us. So I covered that, and then I contrasted that to our firm foundation, the rock of Jesus, and how he is the foundation of our identity. And then I just covered just, I barely scratched the surface about who we are in Christ. And it's always hard to know what verses, but I just chose family of God and camped out in there and talked about what it means to be adopted into his family and how that's a permanent thing, it's irreversible, and all the benefits that come from being a part of his family. And then I kind of wrapped it up with, you know, this identity battle is a real struggle, and it's part of that renewing of our mind, taking what the Word says, God said, versus this relativist kind of thinking of what the world says. And that's a daily battle that we have, and, you know, it's a struggle, and that's part of that transformation process. God uses those struggles to make us more like Him mm-hmm. as we compare what the world's saying against what the Word of God is saying. I, I don't know if you felt this, but it, when I was listening to you talk about some of these things, I almost wondered if for many, this was kind of like a new topic. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like like it felt I like did. the audience oh, a little you? bit yeah. were I like, did, yeah. oh, and I do wonder if it's because, you know, critical theory sounds kind of academic. It sounds like Okay, don't really care to study. I, I don't know. You know, a layman is not necessarily going to go. Wow, I really want to dive into this. But then when you started talking about all the things that this means, I think they started to recognize it and go, "Oh." I hope it felt kind of the pieces fell into place for people because yeah. if you understand the framework, you kind of see how prevalent it is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad that was my goal is to to people to discern the deception. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I hope that you know that was beneficial to people. I think. In many ways, too, just because of the people that were around me, as you were continuing to bring definition to what critical theory is, because some of us maybe have kind of been swimming around in the mud a bit a lot the past few years, but other people I knew had not heard of it before because based off of the oppression definition that I had given from the 1828 and then the modern day, and then when you had mentioned that and the board members had said, oh, yeah, those were written by white men and some people old old white men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How discriminatory is that to say that? <laughs> but uh, a couple of ladies behind me said, oh, oh, no, you know, like that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you can tell that it's still a fresh, brand new, their eyes are not focused on this yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's sad because by the time you realize that it's happening, and this is what you brought to the table today, is the reality of the fact that this has been being worked on for since the 40s. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. been being worked on since yeah. World War II. Right. And it feels like it's we've just been so like sad. boiled frogs. Boiled frogs. Yeah. Like yeah. Slowed, slowly heated up the water it's and so now sad. we're like boiling in it. Yeah. And they want to bring to society with critical theory what Western civilization was able to have the Bible brought to them. Mm-hmm. They want to dismiss and dismantle anything mm-hmm. biblically and replace it with this, which is chaos and violence and Marxism, all of it. Mm-hmm. You did such a great and job. The thing too about critical theory is that they deceive people who, you know, feel like it's the right thing, feel like it's good. They deceive people and they use them to achieve the end goal. Mm-hmm. And so, I, and I say the they, that always sounds kind of like, mm. oh, who's the they? But it really is. I mean, it's a worldwide elitist kind of an academic kind of a mm-hmm. theory. And that is the, the, the end point is destruction. I'm so glad you brought the gospel in to show what actually is the truth and the replacement for something that is so... Mm-hmm. So filled with destruction. Yeah. I had suffering because that last part of that, Mm -hmm. Romans 8, 14 through 17, the last part said, if we suffer with him, you know, that's that's a given. Mm -hmm. We are going to suffer with him if we are living the life that God asked us to live. Mm -hmm. And so... And that suffering is painful. No one wants it. Right. But it's it's necessary to refine us. Mm-hmm. I have this weird thing where I all of a sudden started getting the Voice of the Martyrs. I don't know if you guys ever get that yeah, magazine. Yeah. And they start sending me books and stuff. So I've started reading all these stories about these people suffering. And it's truly amazing how some of it view it like this one woman was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. I think it was in Asia someplace. And and so the Voice of the Martyrs person came out to interview her to publish in the magazine. And he said, so, you know, he didn't really know how to say it. Like, what do you say when someone just got out of prison? He goes, so how was it? And she goes, 
It was wonderful. And he was like blown away. Like, how can she say that about prison? But she said, the presence of God was with me every day. Wow, that's amazing. And she said she spread the gospel. And I don't know if I would call prison wonderful, but the point of that is that by suffering for Christ, she got a glimpse of Mm -hmm. how he suffered for her. And she, her love for him grew that much more. Oh, that's amazing. And I, I just, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And this, we view our society, like you say, I can't remember if it was you or, or Debbie that said that, you know, we run from suffering in this world. It's just like, ah. I mean, obviously we don't want it, but yeah. but it is something that refines us. And mm-hmm. we so many people benefit from it. Mm-hmm. When everything's mm-hmm. good, we don't need anybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't need the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, the thing I appreciated too about just kind of laying critical theory out, and it is it does go with the gospel so nicely, but you, you need to see that dark backdrop a mm-hmm, little bit. And I mm-hmm. think that people need to see that darkness. And I know you part of you're like, okay, I'm sorry to spend so much time on this, but it's important for us to see that so that we can see the contrast of how beautiful what the word mm-hmm. says and how and what God says versus the world. Yeah. Man, it makes the things that God has for us just that much more glorious and that much more beautiful. Yeah, I know. Seeing that contrast. But doesn't that make you sad that yeah. the enemy makes it seem so awful when it's so beautiful? I mean, right. what God offers is so beautiful. And yeah. well, and the opposite is true as well. I mean, you did such a good job. And then it was brought out later in one of the questions, how it's infiltrating the church. But with that, I would also say not just public schools, but private schools as well, because as people condition themselves or get conditioned Mm -hmm. to critical theory, they don't even realize, wait, diversity, equity, inclusion, those are all great things, right? Mm -hmm, Well, yes, no doy, but actually (laughs) the heart behind it, if it's Mm -hmm. to completely dismantle what God has actually really blessed us with in our country, then we need to take another mm-hmm. look at it. You know, mm-hmm. of course we want equality, but all men and women are created equal. Mm-hmm. We already have that. Mm-hmm. So then what's what's the big deal? <laughs> Why do we have to add on to it? Mm-hmm. So it's just a bummer. I think in the end, it makes me recognize, gee, we have such a society and a world that's filled with so much sin that there is a soft spot in people's hearts that are longing for what they're thinking they're getting in critical theory, Mm -hmm. but they don't even know that it's a time bomb and it's going to hurt themselves. Mm -hmm. So I was really thankful Mm -hmm. that you shared today because I think it really helped equip the saints. You know, it helped equip the parents to just to have their radar up about this. Mm Mm-hmm. And I know that this was one of your sources and we'll have it on the website too. But I, the first time I listened to a podcast on critical theory, it was Neil Shenvey and Elisa Childers did a podcast on defining critical theory. And once I heard it, it's like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. The oppressed versus the oppressor and what that looks like. And then, you know, when they say that us as, as women, that we just don't realize our oppression. I'm like, Really? No, I, I actually just don't think I am. But it's so interesting to see what that, and then you start seeing it everywhere, you know? And so I think it's important for us to see. So that's that's a really great podcast just to kind of get a more in-depth too on that. So today we've talked about identity in Christ and Debbie hit on just so many things in scriptures with the spirit and all of that. Last night I looked at really defining the spirit and the flesh and that those are on two separate sides. <laughs> those are opposing teams all the time. And I really, we quoted C.S. Lewis that there's no neutral ground, that there it's going to be the, to the spirit or it's going to be to the flesh, but you're going to have to make up your mind. And then, and Love so we, quote. yeah, Love that quote. so good. And so we spent a lot of time last night in Romans eight verses uh, one through 11. It just keeps going there. Here's the spirit. It's life. It's freedom. It's amazing. And then there's our flesh, which is bondage and we're trapped too. And, and then ultimately though, that it's the fact that we have to make up our mind and where we're going to spend that time and where we're going to, are we going to reap to so to destruction or to the spirit? And so mm-hmm. I have, you know, if you guys have been kind of marinating in Romans with me in the last, maybe it's been weeks for me, it's been a couple months. I think you said you've been in Romans yeah. for a year. <laughs> well, I was in Romans and then I did Debbie's Romans. Yes, then Romans I, yeah, Road. So it's kind of, yeah, kind yeah, of funny. I have been loving it. Somebody actually came up to me the last night. Apparently there is a group, like a worship group that sings all of Romans 8 
they sing it in the ESV. Mm. Nice. So I'm like, I might have to check this out. And so if you're listening, maybe you can check it out. That'd be a cool way to memorize Romans 8 because that's mm-hmm. like, it's amazing. It is. Amazing it is. passage. So, so that's kind of a highlight just of the different things that we have talked about. You guys can go onto the Athe Women YouTube channel and you can hear all the sessions and you can also hear the Q&A that we did. So I want to kind of segue here to hit on some questions that we were not able to answer in the time that we had. And even sadly, probably even on all this podcast, we won't be able to get to them all. But you guys really did have some great questions. So I wanted to get to these. Sharon, let's start with this one that was on education that a mom was asking a question. No, I'm sorry. It's not a mom. It was, uh, this is the gal that she's a homeschool high school student and she's in her senior year. And she says, since I'm homeschooled, I've grown up with a Christ-centered education that has kept me close to him all my life. However, at college, there most likely won't be any mention of truth in what we learn. How do I stay strong in my faith, filter out what's not God's truth and still make the most of my college experience? So I can't wait to hear what you have to say on this because I about have a college kiddo that's heading out soon. Mm -hmm. And this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Well, both of our girls went to public university. And in some ways, you know, when you're in a public university, the Christians kind of find each other out, you know, in some ways. So I would recommend that this person, I guess it's a girl since a young woman, since we're at a women's conference, I would suggest that she looks into the various campus ministries. And there is mm-hmm. a, there are a lot of campus ministries out there. Our girls went to Oregon State. I can name a half dozen down there. You know, they're all degrees of, you know, you have to kind of assess them, Mm -hmm. but they both plugged into different ministries and made some great friends. They were both very Bible-based ministries. And so I would recommend that she looks into that and, Mm -hmm. and find something. And, you know, a Christian university is not necessarily a safe place. It's almost worse because it's under this kind of Christian-y kind of feeling, but it's really almost as bad as public schools. That's my concern. My concern with Christian school is that if you go to a public school, the evil is pretty mm-hmm. obvious. Like mm-hmm. the bad is really, really yeah. bad. And it's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. They could go sit into a religion, you know, yeah. class in a Christian school and be getting some really whack theology yep. and some things that can take them down a road that is just not what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. And so that that is the stuff because it sounds a whole lot better. It yep. sounds easier. So that stuff concerns me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a legitimate concern. I'm trying to think of other advice, you know, and there's also great local churches. Mm -hmm. Our youngest daughter chose a a ministry associated with a local church that was actually a campus ministry, Mm -hmm. but they had a little bit more freedom and more adult oversight. Sometimes if it's just a student-led group, it can be a little bit less biblical because it's based on whatever student's leading it, how much they know about the word. Yeah, and just the fact that she's asking this question the fact that she's seeking, God will provide yeah. and, and be prayerful about it. This is not a biblical thing at all, but <laughs> but I would say, you know, as much as you can major in a Bachelor of Science as opposed to a Bachelor of Arts. Mm-hmm. So if you're taking business, do a Bachelor of Science in business. Mm-hmm. You get rid of all those garbage arts classes. I mean, mm-hmm. really, that's, if you look at their classes, some of them are such a waste of money. Yeah. They really are. Yeah. My daughter had to take Indian flute for multicultural learning. I mean, the flute Indian itself. Indian flute. Indian flute. Okay. And it was like a $100 flute. And the class was probably eight <laughs> or $900. I Is mean, this the mechanical engineer or yeah, the nurse? Both. Uh-huh. Both of them took great. it. Wow. To, to, yeah. So <laughs> really applicable for her, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Well, it's great to learn the Indian flute, but she probably could have done a lot cheaper outside the right, sure. university system. Parks and Rec, maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not experienced in this yet, but mama that had has already had kiddos go to college, that local church piece, that advice yes. was something that she gave. And because I asked her if there's anything she would have done differently, because she didn't really encourage her daughter one way or the other, just kind of didn't think about it. And she said that that would be the first thing. And I think what the conversations my eldest and I have had of you're finding a local church and you're not just going, but it's like somewhere where you can actually continue serving. You know, it's easy to just go to a church and sit in the pews and and leave, but it's different becoming involved and having some accountability and things like that, that they, they know you're going to be there and that kind of stuff. And I think that's really important for, I mean, our kids have been serving in their church here and I want them to continue that like life of service as Mm -hmm. they continue to go. And I think that just helps keep us more rooted 
too. Yeah, and I think having some adults grounded in the word yeah. to just be there for them when you know they're going through a tough time or need some counsel or something. That's mm-hmm. I think of the two ministries that our daughters were in, the one off campus was a stronger foundation just mm-hmm. because it wasn't student-led. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that our oldest was in was student-led and it was pretty, I mean, the organization was solid, but sometimes some of the kids would be kind of off and mm-hmm. things. And, but they both grew in their faith through both ministries. So it just depends on your kid, I think. Mm-hmm. And we keep yeah. saying it, pray. Pray, 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 yes, pray. pray. It's so sweet that she was at the conference. You know, a high schooler coming to the conference is just really that awesome. Is, yes. So exciting. Yes. I would Thanks. actually have her just get on the phone and call Corbin University. Mm. You being a graduate, you being a graduate mm-hmm. of Corbin. We were extremely thrilled with Corbin. We Our kids went to community college and Corbin, and we were so excited that it's all about the hires. Every Christian university, to speak to what Sharon said, it is true that sometimes you can think you're getting something that should be completely Christian-based, mm-hmm. but because of bad hires, you're going to get squirrely mm-hmm. stuff. And like mm-hmm. what you were talking about too, Amy, I cannot really underline enough how awesome it was as a parent to send our kids to a place where the biblical standards, the biblical model, the biblical principles were they were not being thwarted. Mm-hmm. And that was so good, you know. And I mean, all Christian campuses right now are really under attack. Corbin's done a really, really good job of just staying the course. Of course, we pray that for them for the future, but mm-hmm. it doesn't come without, you know, being put in the spotlight mm-hmm. and, you know, seeing people come and pick it or whatever. But you know you're in the right place if you're getting picketed, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So our kids one of the biggest takeaways that they had from Corbin was the relationships that they all built with various professors. Like mm-hmm. Joey to this day, still he's really involved in jujitsu. He's a, currently a brown belt. And one of his professors also is a brown mm-hmm. belt. They're good friends to this day. So those core friendships don't always have to be with your peers. Yeah, They can be built with professors as well and super steadying and really stabilizing for your faith and really when you're figuring out the direction for your life. Mm -hmm. So our experience has been really, really good. Yeah. I think that's good even with, like we were even saying with the local church, you know, finding Mm -hmm. those older believers. So that could be a professor, but it could also just be maybe a pastor at a church or something something like that. But having those older people to go to other than your parents could be a really great thing during that season as well. So, okay. Another question that we had, and we'll define this one carefully, because I do think this is a really good question, but the world kind of plays with this idea a little bit. But her question is, what is biblical self-care and is there such a thing? So the reason I'm trying to be careful with this, and I'm going to let Debbie talk about this because this was a little bit in her talk today, but there is a distinction between the world that's just like, you know, man, I just, as a mom, I'm tired. I deserve a night off and I deserve this. And, you know, as opposed to just taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. So those are two different things. Mm -hmm. And yes, you can have one and not the other. Mm -hmm. So how would you answer her question? Well, we did talk about it, I think, a little bit today in the session where I shared and just encouraging the women to pay attention to their bodies and their minds and their brain health because we have, you know, organs in our body like our heart and our lungs and our kidneys. And so why would we not pay attention also to our brain? You know, like just the functionality makes us be better mothers and better wives if you're single, a better human. I mean, it just makes us be better to take care of ourselves. So to me, there's a huge difference between self-care that really kind of dangles over the word indulgence and that can be a little over way overdone and I know that the new terminology now is self-care is the new health care and that all sounds really good but it's still bottom line it means insurance is not paying for something and so you're gonna have to fork it out yourself (laughs) right so to put that on you as a Christian I think can be tricky because for many 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 of us you don't want the budget in your household to be taken care of all by self-care. Sorry, we can't get food this week because, you know, mommy's getting a massage. I mean, right. that's, I think actually just clear-cut boundaries for how we look at finances, how we look at our own like personal sleep hygiene. Are we doing things to sabotage ourselves? Are we literally putting too much sugar into our bodies and throwing our insulin off and it's making our brain go wacko or whatever? I think that there's some basic things that don't even have to cost anything Mm -hmm. that we can do that fall in line with self-care. So then when you look at the spiritual principle of it, I do think that back to what you talked about last night, 
really just defining what's a work of the flesh and what's a work of the spirit. And to me, I know that I am called, I have a ring on my finger and an alive husband named Brett Metter, and I need to be all I can to help him. That's my number one calling. My kids are grown. They still need me as a mom. They have told me that. I'm not pushing that on them. They have <laughs> literally told me all of them. So I want to be available and be healthy for them. So if I'm just slacking off, then that's on me. And that can go into the realm of really living a carnal life. And your body's going to tell you when you have pushed it too much. If you're not paying attention to the promptings of the Lord in your heart, which I do think some of our anxiety can be self-inflicted from our own mistakes that we've done and we just don't pay attention and we're not confessing and we're not in communion. Bottom line, there is anxiety that can be physiological. And so if you have not really addressed that, paid attention to that and tried to help, you know, figure that out by taking care of yourself and you're just blowing that off, mm -hmm. then who are you when it comes time to a real crisis in the family and you need everything firing? Have you done everything you can do to make sure that you're really in the game for those who really need you and who you're called to really serve? Hey, Debbie, that, I think that's a great point. I just wanted to ask you, how do you think social media fits into that, that whole brain health? Yeah, I, I mean, wish it was illegal, but you know, whatever. <laughs> I do think it's bad for us. I think that, I mean, I don't even have to think of it. The CDC has charted notes that talk about suicide. That has gone up mm -hmm. since social media. Mm -hmm. As social media use has increased, so has suicide. Now, have we done studies yet on state closures and suicide rates? We know that the state of Oregon went up by, what, 300% during closure? Teen suicide went up in one, in, it was horrible with the first quarter of closure and most kids were on their phones all day long. Most yeah, kids, most teachers knew that kids were checking into their class and then going right onto their devices and being on social media all day. So again, that's self-inflicted anxiety and self-inflicted depression, you mm -hmm. know, so it's a bummer. I wish we could have an alarm. Maybe that's the next thing is have a setting on our phone that could be like, before you click on social media, there's going to be this heinous alarm that's going to go off and make sure and really remind you that you really need to be on social media before you go on it because it's so detrimental to our mental health. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, I've set limitations yeah. and I bust through those limitations and I just think, yeah. wow, I need to shrink it up even more. And I can't worry about everyone else because I can't control everyone else's actions, but it's mm -hmm. a problem. So I yeah. think social media is a really bad problem. Yeah. For us, and I mean, I can only imagine what this is like for kids to deal with. Because mm -hmm. think about, I mean, as an adult, I struggle with that. Like, I've done the same thing. I've set the limits and then like, oh, I just got to check one more thing. And so I hit that button that says 15 more minutes or whatever, you know. And it, it just kind of gets waved with us. And we're a grown up with a fully developed prefrontal cortex. Mm -hmm. Well, our sweet children. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yep. Our sweet children do not have that. Yep. Yeah. And it ought to be it's just so wrong that mm -hmm. we aren't more of the adult to say they shouldn't have these things or yep. be more of a parent in that. And there's a lot of parents that just don't want to have, they think it's their kid's going to be the only one without the phone, which mm -hmm. isn't true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we think that, or my kid will feel left out. Sometimes you should ask, feel out left out of what? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> that actually mm -hmm. might be a good thing to be left out of too. So yeah. When I was, it was the first year of my school board term and we had three suicide attempts. And this is in like a period of six, seven months. And mm -hmm. prior to that, we hadn't had any for like six years. And so I was like, what is going on? So I met with an acute clinical psychiatrist, child psychiatrist, and he's He's on staff at three different children's hospitals, and I met him through an acquaintance of mine since I was, you know, worked in pediatrics for eight years. And I asked him, I said, what can we do? What is the problem? And I expected like some, you know, clinical study. Or He just picked up his phone. This is it. Mm -hmm. This is the number one. I mean, just matter of factly. Wow. He just, and I was like, oh, oh my gosh. So basically we need to like eliminate phones from the schools. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He said, yes, but good luck. And so I went back and I started asking around and they, every administrator said it's the parents because mm. they get, the parents get so upset about not the kids not having their devices because they might need to reach them or whatever. So mm -hmm. it's a battle. Yeah. Man, I know this is an, it's unpopular for us to even say don't have phones. I've mm -hmm. said it before on, uh, I think it was the last panel and I had a teacher come up and she said, I, I just want you to know you are 100% right. Like mm -hmm. they shouldn't have social media. 
period. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about the things that we could just kind of take off the table for our kids if they didn't have it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I know that's a challenge. It's Mm -hmm. not a very popular thing for us to say, but, you know, I think it'll be amazing to see what those studies, should we choose to read them in Mm -hmm. 10 years, Mm -hmm. what they really point back to. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right, Debbie, we're already seeing it. We're already seeing like what that is. But moms, Mm -hmm. for your kids and Mm -hmm. for us, Mm -hmm. boy, some of this is just plain old self-control. Yeah, and also owning the fact that you're going to have a lot of tired days. Mm -hmm. And you should not, whoever's out there right now, rip the phone out of your kid's lap and do not have that be their babysitter. Because that's not an excuse for you to have a clean house or to carp, you know, vacuum the carpet or whatever you have to do. All that stuff can wait. And this, it used to be like when my kids were little, you know, there were the sweet, you know, poems that were like, oh, you'll always have a dirty house. It's okay. Don't take your time cleaning the house. Spend time with your kids. So I get that. And that was, you know, you have to prioritize. You have to have a clean house. I get it. But like, I didn't have a phone to hand my kids Mm -hmm. to be like, here, play with this for hours. You know, Mm -hmm. now it's frighteningly easy for parents to literally replace their person as a mother or a father with this device and give it Mm -hmm. to a child. And then that child is satisfied by that thing. Mm -hmm. And I think, okay, hold on, let's break this down. Let's just break this down. So for the mom that has a two-year-old or a three-year-old, please understand that your child is innately wicked. Like we are actually evil. (laughs) We have a sin nature and we are dead until we come to Christ. So why would we do anything that would hinder brain cell activity? to make it so that our kids could actually have an awareness in their soul of their need for God. Why would we hinder that? Why? Like it, we need to look at it in a more diabolical way, I think, because it is extremely diabolical. I mean, these kids are getting shot with the dopamine. They're like their brain is getting filled with a false reality. And so then they're not going to know what their actual need is when it's right in front of them, because they'll have the satisfaction of something that they've been conditioned to think is the real thing when it's actually all fake. Mm -hmm. So then when they, it's a little bit like Santa Claus. It's like, you wouldn't say to your kids, I really want you to truly believe in Santa Claus. Come now, let's buy our plane ticket and go to the North Pole and (laughs) see him. We would not do that because we know he's fake. So why would we give something fake to our kids when we really do have the intention of wanting them to come to know the true and living God who does not have skin on at the moment? Mm. That's where the conundrum is. We have a physical entity that we're placing in the lap of our children. And it, it's very concerning. Yeah. We talk about all the time, but the verse in Ephesians that just reminds us that the days are evil. Mm-hmm. Man, take advantage of the time, you know, and those are moments. Those are, that's just time that you have with your kids that you won't get back. And I don't want to say that in like a guilt trippy way. I just want it to be, you know, kind of a sobering thing. Mom life's hard sometimes and mom Mm -hmm. life is tiring. And we Mm -hmm. started this little bit of the segue in talking about self-care, but there is a part of it that it is going to feel hard. It is going to feel like the suffering piece that we talked about, you know, Debbie, what are your thoughts? Jesus said, count the cost. And I think sometimes moms don't realize that actually not just moms, let's put everyone, every single person who has a device, <laughs> are we counting the cost? Mm-hmm. And I don't mm-hmm. think we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think we are. Because I think that it's a similar issue, exactly the same issue as what's happening like fiscally and financially with so many people who don't have savings, so many people who aren't prepared to retire, but we've got these huge amounts of people that are edging up to retirement and they're not prepared. And I think that with these devices, we're we're trying to replace something that is very precious and very real mm-hmm. with something that is very fake. Yeah. And I don't think we even know the cost that that's going to yeah. have on our families. So sweet person that sent us the self-care question, you probably were not expecting all of that. But I think that is such a good reminder for us because I, I think that could just be a piece of it right there that we need to even strip away our own tendencies to just keep going back to that. And how amazing would that rest feel of mm-hmm. just freeing your mind from all of the things that are just constantly, you know, we're being bombarded mm-hmm. with. So I think that's good. Sharon, I wanted to ask you this question. We This one said, as a young girl, how do I grow up to be a Titus II woman? And I love this. And I also just want to give a huge shout out to the, any of the high schoolers that were here mm-hmm. at the Renewed Conference, mm-hmm. any of you high schoolers that are listening to the Devoted Podcast. I am so impressed with you ladies because 
one of the first things that is to be a Titus 2 woman is to be in the word and just be filling your mind with the things of scripture and any way you can get that. Like that's where you want to start. But Sharon, do you want to talk to our future Titus 2 women there? Yes. I'm actually just tickled that she even asked. It's really sweet. You know, you don't have to be, well, it says, Titus 2 talks about the older women coming around, the younger women and, you know, showing them how to love their husbands and take care of their families and I think that really that applies to any age, anybody that's older coming around a younger believer and encouraging them in their walk with Christ. And I love that about our church because we have so many opportunities to do that, the older kids helping the younger kids. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just a, a, that's a godly model. Mm -hmm. And so she's, she may already be doing it and she doesn't even realize it with, if she's a high schooler coming around a, a junior high or coming around a freshman and just, you know, hey, how's it going? If they see them sitting alone, you know, ask them how they're doing and they want to join a game or whatever. I just think there's so many opportunities for, because, you know, a junior high person could care less about my age person probably, <laughs> but they would look up to a high schooler. And so I just think there's so many opportunities for young people to come around someone a little bit younger than them. Yeah. And even like if you're in high school, even the toddlers or the preschoolers or whatever. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. great question. And just being in the word and learning, just fall in love with the Lord and sharing that with others is just really what being a Titus two person is all about. Yeah. Titus two woman. And we also had a question on, and but I think our Titus two women fall into this category too, as a way of being engaged. Just because you're not actually within, you're not like on Judy's team. Judy's our amazing counseling director that has all these wonderful Titus two women that are actually actively meeting and counseling with women and praying with them. And just because you're not on that doesn't mean biblically you don't have that, that you aren't the older to someone else. And I and I love that we can, even at the youngest age possible, kind of get that, reinforce that with yes. our kids to so that they can kind of become a life of, of doing that. And then also putting yourself in a situation where you are under a Titus too, you know, because I think that helps us to that piece of just being submitted to a godly source, you know, and seeking others for advice and things like that. But we got a question too about our church has obviously grown a bit. Has it not, Debbie? A little bit. And and so sometimes people come into the doors of Athey and they're like, oh my goodness, I'm lost. Where do I go? You know, and how do I meet people and all of that kind of stuff. So, and this comes up a ton. So let's talk about that a second. How do you kind of Build in your talk. You talked about people, and that we mm-hmm. need to have people around us. That's yeah. a biblical thing that we need to be doing. So, how can we do that? Well, I think one of the things that I have always really noticed about Athey Creek, and I say this as myself being a volunteer, our volunteer program—it's the conduit for connection. I'm trying to think of all the different things that over the years that I've volunteered in, whether it's children's ministry or whether it's with the Titus Two Women and and women's ministry and whatnot. You're gonna get yourself in to different groups and you're just automatically set up for Christmas or whatever, you're going to start to meet people who are not only just like-minded because they're believers, but then all of a sudden you have people who are interested in some of the same things you're interested Mm -hmm. in and people coming from all different walks of life. Mm -hmm. And that's what then starts making it so then when you come into the parking lot, you walk into the building and you realize oh, there's a lot of familiar faces here, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, we have, I think, over 1,500 volunteers right now at Athey Creek. And, you know, everyone goes through background checks and everyone is really has connections with pastoral teams or the teams that run those different groups that they do. So it's a safe, you know, environment to be able to get to know people. And it just helps you, you know, to be able to see people on a week to week or a month to month basis, depending on where it is that you would want to plug in. I mean, I know the parking lot guys and gals, those people are like a team. I mean, yeah, they, they're, they're literally like a, their own team. Yeah. And then I mean, <laughs> they have leadership development meetings. They have all kinds of stuff that is going on and they're just <laughs> are rocking it. And our coffee bar people are amazing. And our daughter, Casey, loves doing the coffee bar because she gets to see so many people in church who she hasn't seen in years because of the shutdowns. And so, you know, on the weeks when she's on with the coffee bar, she loves it because she's able to say, hi, how you doing? And just just touch base with people and feels very connected in that way. So it's it's really fun. I would say volunteering is probably, to me, the number one 
yep. way to make a church of this size feel very, very small. Mm-hmm. Well, and then I would also say, you know, maybe, you know, as a podcast audience, maybe you're not actually in Athey Creek's building. Maybe you are listening to us in Arizona or Texas or different things like that. But we also talk a lot about, because it's very biblical, to have fellowship and community with other believers. And man, I sure think this is probably the biggest thing that I think the Lord convicted and really tweaked on my heart with after COVID and the lockdown. Because as an introvert, I kind of was one in that first camp of being like, I'm cool staying home by myself. It's fine. And the Lord just kind of went, no, you're not, you know? <laughs> and I real, I mean, r- truly, like, as you look through scripture all the way back to creation, when God said to Adam, it is not good that man should dwell alone. That's pretty early in the Bible. And then you see it all the way through into the New Testament church model that we are to be with other believers. Mm-hmm. And sadly, we have a ton that are still just kind of sitting on the couch watching church. Now, I don't want to harsh on all of that because I know that for some, they're in a position where that's all they can do. But I would have to challenge people and ask them, is it really all you can do? Because I think sometimes we get a little comfortable to just not come outside of our box to find that community. And you're just going to sometimes have to be uncomfortable. Maybe you're in a season of life that you don't feel like you should be volunteering. And so you're just sitting in the in the chairs a little bit, but you might have to go up to somebody you don't know and introduce mm-hmm. yourself. And it might feel a little awkward. You might have to find somebody and kind of start a, like a small prayer group or something like that. It takes initiative, you know? Mm-hmm. Like maybe the Lord is actually calling you to do that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and of course, what we've always been saying, pray first. Mm-hmm. You know, man, if you're really lacking that community and that fellowship and that engagement, ask the Lord for it. Like spell it out. Specifically ask the Lord. He he hears exactly what our need is. I was, it was in my devotional yesterday. I, was, I love streams in the desert. And it was talking about when we're asking the Lord for things, look how Jesus responded, like his tone almost, like when it's the Syrophoenician woman who's who's being healed. But his tone is almost like, what is it you want? Just ask me, what is it you want? And I think sometimes we think that our prayer has to sound super holy and, you know, we have to have these really high spiritual aspirations when really the Lord might just be asking, well, just ask me, what is it that you're needing right now? And if so, if that's somebody that's just wanting to have that friend, have someone that they can pray with, be involved in other people's life, ask the Lord for it because he's going to open that door. Mm-hmm. So, that's you know, this kind of is a, a little bit of a sidebar back over to the question about self-care. But mm-hmm. in many ways, I feel like the challenge that we're talking about right now, it can be incorporated into a Christian's self-care. And that is to stretch themselves yeah. for fellowship and to continue relationships with sisters in Christ and getting to know people. I mean, that's that's kind of a huge element to making us all remain stable, encouraging us, accountability. Those are things that are Bible-based and they have nothing to do with anything carnal. It's just right. strictly what the Lord wants us to do as Christians. And I think just kind of mopping that up into the self-care category is, yeah. you know, probably a good way to help yeah. redefine mm-hmm. That's a, really good a, point. a good model of self-care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. I think that, you know, God puts us in uncomfortable situations, whether it be that we don't know anybody right, or we're doing something that's really uncomfortable that we've been asked to do, that's part of that transformation process because he makes us uncomfortable and we have to do this. We're being obedient, right, because we're uncomfortable and we learn something. We need meet some new people. Maybe we're refined because we're struggling with something. And so I think he uses those things to help us in our walk. He doesn't promise that we're comfortable. Right. <laughs> so I think- it, it keeps going back to that thing that, well, we, we don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to suffer. Yeah. We don't have want to have pain. Maybe we just need to have that as like a sticky note of like, yeah, I don't know. We're just mm-hmm. being obedient to what he mm-hmm. wants us to do, really. Yeah. yeah. Together. Okay, this was a good question. I know that there's a lot of people that really face this, and this is really difficult. She said, how can I bring my faith and values into the fire service to help my patients without breaking any ethical or professional boundaries? And I, I think we could probably even extend this to some of the, uh, you know, healthcare teachers, all of these folks that are really facing really, really difficult situations day in and day out, and they kind of feel just bombarded. All right, give us some encouragement for those folks. Well, I worked in healthcare, and then I was, you know, in the education system for four years. And there's a lot of similarities between the two. There are things you can do. I mean, you can always shine your light on an individual basis, just in a personal level with a patient or a student you know, ask how they're doing. And if you ask questions, let them answer. Often it, it turns into some kind of a spiritual conversation so that there's opportunities individually. But as far as like what you're asked to do, like I saw in the school system and Debbie, you can probably expand on this, but if you know policy, policy is power folks. And there's just a handful of policies. I was just talking to a librarian 
up in Washington, the state of Washington, and she was asked to put a poster in her library. And so she was trying to figure out how to navigate that. And so we were talking about policies and stuff. And so she was able to kind of just formulate a policy or, you know, in her library to really not have any signs at all. So, I mean, there's things you Mm -hmm. can do, but knowing the rules and so often they're violated. And healthcare was the same way. Healthcare has all kinds of rules. There's so many rules, but you can figure out ways around those rules, still go by them, but Mm -hmm. just know what they are so that you can navigate those. So I would say that's one thing you can do. And of course, I wasn't in clinical care, but certainly I know a ton of people who are. And my goodness, they make such a difference in a healthcare setting. I mean, they're just angels. And you just, you shine so much brighter than everybody else does. Mm -hmm. It's just so apparent that you care. But the motto was, is if you care, you worked more because everybody knows Mm -hmm. you care. And so they give you more work. (laughs) Yeah. And so you do tend to get burned out. So you have to establish boundaries, but your light shines. And the Christian people I knew in healthcare, you could tell, Mm -hmm. you could tell. And Mm -hmm. just by the way they care about people, it's not just mechanical. Yeah. You know, it's not just going through the motions. You are doing it in care. And you could say the same thing about teachers. Mm -hmm. And so that would be all I have to say. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much Mm -hmm. there, but maybe you guys have Mm -hmm. stuff to add. Debbie, I'm sure you do. Maybe our audience doesn't know. Sharon and I co-founded a little group called Communities for Excellence in Education. And so we formulated that in order to help educate teachers and students and parents about their religious rights and, you know, just understanding the freedoms that they have as educators and as students and as parents. So we both have a collective background, you know, from having our kids in public school and whatnot. And then I have a family filled with educators. And of course, Sharon has her experience now on the board. Really, it all kind of started happening when we really saw this really oppressive nature from the Oregon Department of Education start really coming down the pike with these standards, particularly as it related to comprehensive sex education. Mm -hmm. And really, when you look at the standards, about 25 to 30 percent of it is undermining the actual family. So we knew there was a problem like six or seven years ago and formulated this group. And it's been mostly the Athey Creek audience, but other people could join it. Like we have a Facebook group and all that. But really, it just helps us stay connected. And so Let's just give you an example of what can happen when you understand policy and how you can work to create change within your area. Okay, so in Newburgh, for instance, our friends, the Browns, so Dave Brown and Judy Brown, Judy became a part of one of our groups. It's not a membership, you don't pay or anything like that, but you just come together for fellowship, you're believers, and you're really trying to be a light in a dark place, mm-hmm. like what Sharon was talking mm-hmm. about. And we really wanted to edify and encourage teachers in that way. So we've had a few conferences. So Judy came to that conference, and then she and I had had years of volunteering together from when we had kids in school. Judy's husband then came to the next conference that we had, and then he decided to run for the school board. He won for the school board, then he became school board chair. School board chair, they get the majority As a majority, they decide, knowing what policy is for federal law, there should be an American flag in all the classrooms. And hey, we have a right to not be political. And so we're going to go ahead with our current policy to not be political. And we're going to say no to the pride flag. And we're going to say no to the rainbow flag because it's not what it actually originally intended to mean. That's what they could do for their community. They were elected into that place. Now, most people know, if you have been in the news at all, Newburgh made national news because of that decision. Mm -hmm. There was Mm -hmm. a recall effort. The conservatives prevailed. There was a second recall effort. The conservatives prevailed again. Just last week, the remaining two liberals have now resigned their positions from the board. So Mm -hmm. we have a completely new, the superintendent resigned. They've hired a new person. I mean, that's just one example. I'm not saying hey, we're out to change the world and we're going to make it a better place and like kingdom now. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, hey, if we don't want to quite have it so terrible, (laughs) we do have options. And Mm -hmm. one of those things is to vote, work within the policy Mm -hmm. that you have, get people into positions that are really good people Mm -hmm. and they're going to stand for what really would be the, what we would want, yeah. you know, as Christians trying to raise our kids, just have most people can't afford private school mm-hmm. and most people cannot afford private colleges. So the option for public school is the only option. Mm-hmm. So we either clean up, you know, the smutty stuff that's going on and we can do that because we have options and we have the ability to do that or or we, we got to, you know, pull your kids out, you know. And there's some mis- misunderstanding out there too, because I actually read the policy that they passed. Mm-hmm. There's a misunderstanding that it's just targeted to the LGBTQ flags and right. the BLM flags, and it's not. It's just, it's basically clarifying that it's 
anything political. No anything, political. Nothing political. And that's political. really what's interesting about that yeah. is that was not even a question four years ago. Right. Not even a question. Right. But they're just clarifying and getting more detailed because it's they've changed the definitions of what that is. So, right. So, Which so, goes back to your critical theory. Yes, it, it, yes exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, so. and that's a great example. You know, you guys are doing that with schools. But like we said, this this question was related to fire service and mm-hmm. there's people in healthcare and mm-hmm. different things like that. Maybe sometimes it's even just creating a group of mm-hmm. like-minded people, yeah. maybe in your workplace or something mm-hmm. that you guys can even just be praying together and supporting each other. So we've just got a couple minutes left, but I wanted to end with this one because I always think this is the best place to come back to. Whether you are mom, whether you are working as a nurse or a teacher, all these different areas, the biggest thing you always have to make sure that you're filled up with the word first, Mm because that's the thing that washes our mind. That's the thing that gets us ready for all of this. And, And somebody asked us a question in here of just like, how do you make being in the word daily? What does that look like? So we've got like 30 seconds or so, but Sharon, what does that look like just to make the word a daily priority? I've come to the point in my life that I crave it. So if I don't Mm -hmm. get it, it feels like I'm in a desert. So that's big. So I don't have to really force myself. Like I used to have to make myself just be a part of my routine because I knew the consequences that I would be out Mm -hmm. of fellowship eventually and not do so well. But it looks different depending on the season in my life. Sure. And so when you're with kids, it's very different in your work. I worked... And so, you know, I would take time at night before I went to bed and then pray in the morning or pray at lunchtime. I started the habit of praying at work, which, wow, that's a revelation, Sharon. (laughs) Yeah. So I would say just try to fit it in because without it and earlier the bit, just so you have a reset, you know, Mm -hmm. the earlier the better. But I know that's not always possible for everybody. But even if, you know, you have time in the car, turn off the music podcast and just be praying or something. But it's changed over my life. Right now I have more time, so it's been awesome and Mm -hmm. just so wonderful to have the time to Mm -hmm. be in that word. I appreciate all that and that resonates with me so much. I think one thing is about redeeming the time because Mm -hmm. the days are evil. I think that one of the things that we can do, again, protecting our minds and just being on guard is kind of along the lines with social media, we have so much access to so much information that we Mm -hmm. could think we're doing ourselves a service with, oh, this podcast and that podcast. But I find that sometimes the best alternative, if it's during a workout or a walk or even weeding, weeding's great time (laughs) to just have the Bible read to me, Mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, I personally use pray.com and I love James Earl Jones (laughs) because he has such a great voice. And so I love just reading Mm -hmm. the word in that way Mm -hmm. and becoming familiar with scripture in that way and just being, having it be a part of my thinking as I'm processing. I love that. I love that stuff. I mean, I I think sometimes we just need to be reminded it's not a formula. It fit it in where it fits in. Also stretch yourself in if you just like feel like you're just only just Mm -hmm. squeezing it in. Maybe you do need to block out like an hour once Mm -hmm. a week where I think probably most of us, if we're honest, we could find an hour in our week, you know, even in busy seasons that we could probably do that. But it's not a right or wrong. We we stuff ourselves in these boxes of it has to be done a certain way and it has Mm -hmm. to look a certain way. The Lord just wants to meet with us and Mm -hmm. we need to make that a priority. And man be in the word. It's what keeps us going. So, all right. Thank you guys, Debbie, Sharon. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for doing the conference. Guys, I hope you have enjoyed this podcast, but then also just go back, go listen to the Renewed Conference. I think you're going to be blessed by it, but it's just been, it's been so good to get to do this. So thank you guys. Yeah, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. This is a bonus, but we'll see you guys. I, I don't know. You never know when Amy's going to pipe in and do a, do another episode. So if you've not subscribed, click to subscribe so we can get you notified when there's a new podcast. All right. Thank you for tuning in to The Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at atheycreek.com.